Welcome to Voices, a podcast from the Institute for Human Rights and Business. Here, we're seeking to elevate the range of perspectives on the role of business in the world and in people's everyday lives. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Voices podcast from the Institute for Human Rights and Business. My guest today is Sophia Kagan, who is the Chief Technical Advisor on the ILO's Fair Migration in the Middle East project. Sophia has a decade of experience working on migration issues with the UN, and in her current role, she focuses on development of policies to support migrant workers um, in the Arab states. Sophia, welcome. Thank you so much, Neil. It's such a pleasure to, uh, to have this opportunity to speak to you on the Voices podcast. So we're here to discuss a very interesting research paper produced in a joint initiative by the ILO and the IOM, promoting fair and ethical recruitment in a digital world. Perhaps we should start by uh, you telling us a little bit more about the project. Um, Why did you see the project as important? How did you go about your research? Uh, well, Neil, the project began, I guess, in 2018 um, as a collaboration between the ILO's uh, Regional Office for Arab States and the IOM. And we saw this increasing reference to technology and regional dialogues, um, including in the Arab states. Um, and much of it was being talked about in the context of apps by civil society organizations and companies, uh, including in sort of from providing oversight in supply chains. But we felt that... Um, Little was in the public domain about government use of technology um, in recruitment. And so we decided to map out these four examples of existing state facilitated uh, digital technology platforms that assist in the, the recruitment or the placement or job matching of migrant workers. And these are not new platforms. Uh, I mean, the Republic of Korea's uh, employment permit system, uh, yours, uh, which is the uh, European employment services system, have been in operation for more than 15 years. India's uh, e-migrate system was established in 2014. Um, Kingdom of of Saudi Arabia, the Musanid system, which focuses on recruitment of migrant domestic workers, was established around that time. And yet, there was relatively little analysis in the global literature on their operation. So we decided to bring the governments on board to to basically sort of review um, information about the operations of these systems. Um, And let me be clear that, you know, this wasn't intended as an independent assessment, but really a sort of a preliminary look at um, these systems and, and to provide an opportunity for the governments to reflect on what aspects could be improved, and also provide a reference point to those uh, uh, governments um, that we're looking to develop or to redevelop their own platforms. So um, the important thing to note here that these are all government led and initiated um, and managed um, sort of platforms. But um, just um, what is it that the platforms are trying to do? What do they offer? Sure. Well, I I won't go through all four. So let me just give you two examples, uh, the EPS uh, in Korea and e-migrate in India. So EPS is a a temporary labor migration uh, program that brings uh, migrant workers from around 16 um, largely Asian uh, countries of origin to to fill uh, labor market gaps in Korea. It operates um, an online digital uh, technology platform and also a mobile phone application. And it has you know, multiple services, um, including, for example, an intranet system, 
where um, applicants uh, can submit their applications and where there's job matching between workers and employers. Um, there, uh, in principle, all stages of the recruitment process are available to all the parties on the website. So migrant workers can see their employment status, uh, their training records, uh, they can file grievances in their own language. I, I think this is an important aspect of the EPS, um, the sort of multilingual function um, that's uh, designed to meet the needs of migrant workers. Um, but it's not just about the technology interface. I think this is something I'd like to stress. Um, you know, th there's also a quote unquote offline component. Uh, workers are greeted at the airport by a Korean government official. They receive three days post-arrival orientation training. There are face-to-face uh, -face job and counseling centers that are available. So there's this sort of mix of online and offline functions, um, including grievance uh, hotlines. Um, then turning to e-migrate, um, so the EPS um, that I, I, I mentioned earlier, it's an example of a platform by a country of destination. Um, e-migrate is, uh, is obviously a country of origin initiative, um, and it provides services to Indian uh, migrants uh, which um, need uh, an immigration check. Uh, um, so, uh, so essentially, you know, the, the program took nearly a decade to roll out, uh, and it aims to convert the immigration clearance from a manual process to an electronic one that links multiple ministries, consulates, um, you know, employers, recruitment agencies, workers, all on one system. So, I mean, I guess some of the features are, you know, like the APS, eMigrate has a grievance mechanism that's available. It has an e-locker function where the migrant worker's passport is digitally secured and accessible. Um, so, you know, if, if the physical copy is lost, then the digital record is available. Um, but um, I guess, you know, there are many sort of differences between the two systems, um, including, I think, the role of private recruitment agencies um, uh, across both platforms. So it, it seems to me, and when I was reading the report, um, that two things become very clear, the need for increased transparency of recruitment processes, and the, and the platform seems to uh, provide some of that. And also, but it, it doesn't take away the need for effective government oversight of recruitment agencies and the recruitment process. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that a fair and ethical recruitment can't be achieved and scaled uh, through technology alone. We know that the recruitment industry contains powerful players. Um, we tackle this topic in the ILO's white paper on recruitment between Asia and Arab states in, in 2016 by Dr. Ray Giardini. Of course, you know, this is a, a topic that is very familiar to you, Neil, and the IHRB. Uh, the sort of challenges that you know that, that are faced, and what technology can do when when properly uh, designed and regulated is to you know improve the accessibility, efficiency, and transparency of of specific business processes within that recruitment chain. But what it cannot do is to you know tackle corruption and malpractice if there is not the political will to actually stamp out these practices across the industry. So you know, for example, under the the EPS in Korea. Bilateral uh, MOUs that govern labor cooperation between the um, Korea and countries of origin stipulate, you know, the, um, the, the need to ensure that workers are not charged excessive recruitment fees and there is monitoring um, on both sides of the corridor. 
Um, and so as a result, the EPS um, has reduced some of the power that was in the hands of private recruitment agencies to independently set their own fees, um, to, you know, to, to be responsible for selecting workers. Um, now that sort of close bilateral state cooperation um, has helped to um, mitigate the, the market exploitation by limiting the, the power of the agencies. Um, so it, it's not really the digital platform per se that was responsible for this, but really sort of the regulatory oversight. Um, and even still, you know, the, the process of, of eliminating recruitment fees, uh, you know, within Korea's system is still incomplete. So, you know, it gives you an idea of, of how much political will um, and monitoring is required. And how complex it can be. And how it's complex it can be. So um, what, let's consider end users now. Um, we'll talk about migrant workers in a minute. But what about uh, businesses? What do these platforms mean for businesses trying to recruit workers from abroad? Well, for business, Neil, I think when a recruitment platform is uh, well designed and implemented, the benefits are, are quite clear. A paper-based process um, of applying for international workers is really time-consuming. It requires obtaining, you know, multiple approvals from multiple agencies, um, and sometimes in a sequential order. There's a risk of corruption if it's not clear what employers are required to pay and to whom. Um, so, for example. Um, even though Saudi Arabia's government doesn't set limits on what private recruitment agencies charge to households, even something so basic as mandating that each agency sets their prices upfront and it can be compared on one website um, has um, sort of encouraged competition um, to, to try to bring down the costs for employers. Um, where the system also matches uh, prospective migrants and employers, um, this can be an asset to business. Um, so, for example, in the case of the uh, EPS and yours in the EU, um, that way the, the job matching process can be designed based on skills and attributes rather than the exploitative model where recruitment agencies basically select workers based on their capacity to pay. Um, and that results in recruitment debt and contract substitution. Again, technology can play a role in this. Um, uh, blockchain, for example, can be used to prevent uh, tampering of the of the contract um, and and try to sort of reduce the risk of contract substitution. Tackling these issues can really alleviate a major reputational risk to businesses, um, but it also means that the workers that they um, hire are more productive, they're more loyal to the company. I think this is something that has been demonstrated in numerous uh, demonstration pilots by the ILO um, in terms of the benefits of, of fair recruitment um, and the employer pays principle. No, absolutely. Better processes, better outcomes for workers as, exactly. as, and better outcomes for business as well. So let's talk about work themselves now how accessible are these platforms to potential migrant workers do you think yeah this is a really um, major challenge in the operation of most recruitment systems um, one issue is the limited languages in which the platforms are offered um, the e-migrate system is only available in hindi and english um, although of course there's a range of other uh, languages that migrant workers speak musanet is available in english and arabic um, although there are 10 countries of uh, origin um, that send work domestic workers to saudi arabia but it's not just the language of the website um, workers will be more interested to use um, a responsive system that can deal with their individual grievances and that requires authorities and countries of destination to also be able to communicate with the workers you know outside of just having an interface a, a, you know a website interface that's in the workers language 
that comes down to ensuring that there are interpreters or community liaison officers. Um, and unfortunately, that, that remains rare in um, Arab uh, countries of destination, but you know, other countries as well. And then there's the issue of access to technology, um, because you know whether we're talking about uh, domestic workers whose phones are confiscated um, by the, the um, by their employers, or construction workers in remote labor camps where data bundles are expensive, or or fishers in remote waters where Wi-Fi is not even a, an option, the the right um, to, to access technology is something that really needs to be better understood. Um, and, uh, you know, perhaps even enshrined in, in laws or MOUs, standard unified contracts. Um, and I guess in the end, you know, even the most accessible system needs the trust of migrant workers. Um, so that means strict protection of data, uh, efficient responsiveness, um, and, and user feedback um, with migrant workers to, to really sort of continue to improve the, the, the performance um, or the, uh, yeah, the fit for purpose of the platform. Yeah, a bit more work needed on uh, that side of things um, then perhaps. But uh, I, I, you can see where that might be um, heading as people become more familiar and have greater access to the technology. So where do you think that this is heading, Sophia? In our own programmes, we make the point constantly that migrant workers uh, are an asset to the countries where they seek work, adding great uh, economic vitality to both countries of destination through their labour and also countries of origin through their remittances and clean, clear, fair recruitment processes through platforms such as this seem to be good for workers and good for business, which means that they're good for the global economies. Um, where, do, where do you see, um, what's your ambition? Where do you see this going now? Uh, well, great question, Neil. Um, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball, um, but uh, I think in the end, if, if I was going to give my sort of um, my two cents, I think we need to go back to the principle that technology is only as good as the political and financial investment in regulatory oversight. I think in the end, technology can streamline and facilitate business processes, but to really be transformative, um, to rise to the challenge of you know, eliminating um, unfair uh, recruitment, um, it needs to have um, measurable outcomes for governments, employers, and migrant workers. Um, and for this, migrant workers have to be active users um, of the platforms, and, and the platforms need to be reformed with their needs in mind. Um, so, um, so I think that's one direction. I think another direction is to also ensure that the technology that's that we're using is, is helping and not hurting, um, that there is strict data protection in place, um, here, for example, the ILO's code of uh, practice on protection of workers' personal data can be relevant, um, but also an emerging body of literature, um, in, including around you know, possible discriminatory use of uh, um, AI and, and other technological uh, tools. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think a lot, uh, there's a lot of potential, um, but still a lot of work uh, to, to be done in order to, to ensure that technology really sort of meets its potential and that um, fair and ethical recruitment can be better promoted.
So Pierre, thank you for your um, time today um, and for explaining about the project. That's um, been uh, fantastic. So thank you very much. The uh, research project that we're talking about, um, promoting fair and ethical recruitment in a digital world, um, we'll put a link on the IHRB website so you can access it there, but you can also access it via the ILO's um, website as well. Thank you all very much for listening to this podcast from the IHRB. Um, if you have enjoyed it, you may wish to uh, subscribe to our feed and perhaps also sign up to our newsletter um, in order to receive all the latest news from the Institute and the world of business and human rights. Thank you very much.